Good morning. Uh, as I get ready to read this text to you, I need to acknowledge that we have a problem. And the problem is that this text is overly familiar. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. We've heard it so many times. We hear it at weddings at times. And so today I'd like to read you the translation from The Message, uh, a modern translation of this familiar text with hopes that we might be able to hear it again as if for the first time. 1 Corinthians 13, The Way of Love. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, even to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. What we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. But when I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. Well, folks, we've come to the last sermon. I've been here 19 years, and by estimates, I've preached somewhere around 760 sermons at Piedmont Church. And so here, as we come to the last one, I've been trying to think, what's the most important thing that I could leave you with, think about What's the ultimate goal of the Christian faith? And so today I want to talk about that because Paul makes it very clear that the ultimate goal of the Christian faith is love. You know, Paul wrote a variety of letters in the New Testament. Have you ever wondered why some of the letters, most of them in fact, are short? Four or five chapters? And some letters are really, really long. You probably haven't wondered, but wonder now. Well, the reason is this. You know, Paul, as you know, have you ever heard of the word problem child? Well, that's what the letter of the Corinthians were. That's what the church in Corinth was. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, they get four or five chapters. 
he wrote 30 chapters to the church in Corinth. Because, well, as you know, Paul's habit was to start a church and then go on to another town and start another church. But he always kept in touch with the old churches that he left. And he would hear reports back at how things were going. And the reports that he got back from Corinth were not good. So he had to continually to write to them with a lot of advice. It seems almost like they had taken the Christian faith and put a thin veneer over their old pagan lifestyles. And not much had really changed. So he writes in his two letters to the Corinthians, he writes to give them some advice as to how to bring their life in line with the, the goals and the ideals of Jesus Christ. And in the end of chapter 12, he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then in the text we just read, he launches into the, the description of that excellent way, the ultimate goal of the Christian life, to become a loving person. Sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, I say to myself, gee, this is not very original, or everybody knows this. But then I remember that much of preaching is not telling folks something new, but reminding them of what they already know, but may have neglected. So today I remind you of our ultimate goal, to love. In our text, Paul talks about some of the barriers to achieving that goal. First, he talks about the barriers of achievements. Our desire for achievement can be a barrier to hearing this word. Paul mentions it. He says, it doesn't matter if we can speak eloquently or can move mountains or can explain mysteries. All of those achievements are wonderful. But if I don't love, then I'm nothing. Achievements can be a distraction to love. I'm now in my 42nd year of ministry, and I can remember my ordination ceremony as clear as yesterday. It was at a little church out in Concord, First Christian Church. I was the youth minister there. And I had just graduated uh, with a Master's of Divinity from San Francisco Theological Seminary. And I was proud of that achievement. I was the first person in my family to get a graduate degree. I got the preaching prize, and I was proud of those accomplishments. And I asked my favorite professor, Dr. Brown Barr, to come and to give the sermon uh, at the ordination ceremony. And um, it was a really interesting thing. He, he asked me to sit by myself on the front row. And he, um, he launched into the sermon. He, he said, uh, I'm going to be preaching this sermon to Bill. If the rest of you want to, to listen in, that's fine. Uh, but he ne his eyes never left me. And he preached the whole sermon to me. He said, Bill, there is only one goal in Christian ministry, and that is love. Bill, it doesn't matter if you build big churches, become the pastor of a megachurch. If you don't have love, this day is nothing and you're a fraud. If your preaching is so eloquent that thousands flock to hear you and they put you on TV, but you don't have love, you're nothing. If you raise lots of money for mission work or poor people around the world, but you do it without love, you're nothing. Without love, you're just a noisy cymbal or a clanging gong. Brown died a few years ago, but uh, he was able to be here uh, in 2001 when I, when I was installed as the pastor. He drove down from Napa and uh, attended the ceremony. 
And uh, I remember one time having lunch with him, I asked him, I said, Brown, do you remember that sermon that you preached at my ordination? He said, yeah, how you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. But I remember what you said, and it was very important. Same words I would have for Piedmont Church as you go into the future here. Many wonderful things I know are in store for this church, but remember that even if you raise tons of money and fix up the church, if you do it without love, you're nothing. If you have the most profoundly moving worship services and music program and all those things, but it's without love, it's nothing. If you have the best youth program in the country, but you do it without love, it's nothing. If you transform inner city Oakland through your tutoring programs and mentoring programs, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Paul reminds us that our achievements can be a barrier to our ultimate goal, which is to love. Two other things that Paul points out in our text. One is, he says this, this wonderful thing, he says, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. This is really important because it's hard to do. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Isn't it human nature to love to keep score of the sins of others? We love to do that and to bring them up at certain times and use them as weapons. In fact, there's a psychological term for it in counseling called gunny sacking. When you remember something that somebody did 10 years ago and you bring it up and you beat them over the head with it, Paul says love doesn't do that. It doesn't keep track of the wrongs that you've experienced against yourself. When I'm doing a wedding, a lot of times people request the scripture at weddings, and when I come to this part, I want to stop and say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Because I don't know of any long-lasting relationship where people fail to do this. Being married 30 or 40 years takes a whole lot of forgiving and moving on, no matter how wonderful the person you're married to is. And every relationship is going to have its hurts, wounds, and the only way to survive is to take Paul's advice. Love doesn't keep track of the wrongs of others. Many of you know that one of my favorite poets is Judith Viorst, and she has a poem called, Among Other Thoughts on Our Wedding Anniversary. Over the years, when the sink overflowed, or the car ran out of gas, or the lady who comes every Tuesday to clean didn't come, or I felt pudgy or misunderstood, or inferior to Marilyn Kaufman, who is not only a pediatric surgeon, but also a very fine person, as well as beautiful. Over the years, when they lost our luggage, or our reservations, or two of the engines, or the rinse that was going to give my hair some subtle copper highlights turned it purple, or my mother-in-law got insulted at something I said, or my stomach got upset at something I ate, or I backed into a truck that I swear when I looked in my rearview mirror wasn't parked there, or I suffered from some other blow of fate. It's always been so nice to have my husband by my side so I could blame him. Love doesn't keep track of the wrongs. And then Paul says another interesting thing in his list. He says, love always looks for the best. Have you ever seen two people describe a person, one person, in totally different ways? 
Some people see in that person all these wonderful good things and good qualities, and another person sees in that person only ugliness, evil, and badness. Same person. What is, what is that about? Well, it seems like there are some people who are always looking for the negative. They're always looking to criticize. But Paul says if you want to love, you've got to go around and look for the best in people. In your family, in your workplaces, try and focus on the good because every person is a combination of good and bad. All of us have some wonderful and some not wonderful characteristics. So Paul says if you want to make this world work for you, try to look for the good and not for the bad. That's what love does. I'll give you an example. When I was back at Miami, there was a member of my church named Verda. She was a woman in her 80s. Her husband had died about 20 years earlier. And one day she invited me to come over and have a cup of coffee with her and visit. And I did, and, and she said, Dr. McNabb, this is a very special day for me because if my husband had been alive, this would be the 60th wedding anniversary of our relationship. She said, can I tell you a little bit about him? I said, sure. She said, my husband was a banker and he was a very introverted person, just painfully shy. He, he, he had a difficult childhood and he was very closed in with his emotions. In fact, in all of our years together, I never heard him say the words, I love you. But what he would do, she said, is that maybe twice a week or so, he would write a little note, a little love note, and he would leave it on the table as he went to work, and I would read it after he left. She pointed to the coffee table where there were three big scrapbooks filled to the brim with these love notes. She said, Dr. McNabb, I know that love is something that you do for the one that you love, even if you don't have the words. She said, I could have never asked for a better life. You see, Verda had made a choice. Instead of being bitter at her husband's inability to say the words, I love you, she focused on the notes. She chose to look at the good and not the bad, and she was grateful. Paul says, love looks for the best in people. At the end of the musical Fiddler on the Roof, there is a scene where Tevia and his wife Golda, who've been married for a, a long time, have a dialogue about their relationship. Tevia says, Golda, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married in this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know, but do you love me? Do I love you? 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cows. After 25 years, why talk of love now? Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared, I was shy, I was nervous, so was I. But my father and mother said we'd learn to love each other. 
So I'm asking you, Golda, did you learn? Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know, but do you love me? Do I love him? For 25 years, I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you do love me? I suppose I do. You know, sometimes we want to have the word said just perfectly. We want to have love packaged just how we want it. Certain words or gestures. But true love looks beyond that. True love always looks for the good, ignoring the bad. Paul, in this passage, gives us the greatest advice we could ever have about life. None of us remember it all the time. All of us fall down in this area. But if you want to know what the ultimate goal of the Christian life is, it is to love. Piedmont Church, may God bless you as you continue to grow into that goal. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I remind you that you are representatives, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life in such a way that when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen.